Hey, good morning. Good to see all of you and uh, good to be back at church today. Um, I was gone for a couple of months on sabbatical and um, wanted to thank God and thank all of, um, uh, especially our pastors and our staff and all of you who were here and doing so much at church and really keeping our church going strong and um, allowing me the opportunity to go and get away a little bit. Um, just wanted to thank all of you. And um, you know, I had just a chance even to listen to some of the guest speakers that came, and uh, I was listening online, and so different in, um, you know, in kind of the message that they brought, but really, uh, really the same God that they experienced and so much. So that was fantastic to hear them and uh, know what was going on. And you know, the first part of my sabbatical, I started at uh, Regent College up at Vancouver, and I took a couple classes there. Um, it was kind of interesting, you know, because you're by yourself. And I didn't think about this before I went, but I was alone. And um, now I'm going like, it, the first day I realized I, I didn't talk to anyone other than, can I have a, you know, a venti pike? And that was about the only thing I was saying. And then I would go to class and, um, you know, check in with my wife and I, I'd call. But... Um, you know, eat lunch by yourself. It was kind of this like awkward, lonely um, time where all I'm doing is listening, just listening to things. And the room I was staying in was this dorm room that this school that I was at, at uh, University of British Columbia, the dorm I stayed in, didn't have Wi-Fi in, in the dorm room. Can you believe that? And so what do you do without Wi-Fi now, right? And I was thinking, how do I get by like this? And um, so even at night, I go to my room and it's it, concrete and it almost looks like a jail cell and I go in by myself and I'm like I don't even have signal and um, so I was you know reading a little I had an old golf magazine I brought so I read that about 500 times um, and um, you know but in it in spending time without so much of talking but listening quite a bit um, and thinking um, you know you gain perspective on things and it was fantastic for me you know, uh, Jim Collins writes in one of his leadership books that all leaders need what he calls white space, a time where you have nothing on your agenda where you could just think um, and how it actually benefits you and your creativity and so on and so forth. And so that was fantastic for me, and I had a great time. Um, uh, you know, I, one of the classes I took, I took with Dr. J.I. Packer, who wrote Knowing God, and I took uh, the pastoral epistles with him. And he is a, a legend... Uh, amongst kind of, you know, in Christianity, especially in America and Canada, and really globally. He wrote Knowing God. He wrote hundreds of books and articles. He's 89 years old, and I got to go and sit in on his class for a week, and he's talking about, um, you, know, you know, when you hear from someone like that, they, they say something simple, like, you know, pray hard. And it, it just sounds so much better. You're like, wow, that's so deep, you know. Um, and I approached him after class, and I was kind of thinking, Man, you know, and I went to him and I said, hey, you know, Dr. Packer, I'm so-and-so, I'm, I'm on a break, and I'm taking your class, and I wanted to thank you. And I kind of said, you know, I read your book, Knowing God. I refer to it often. And I might have even embellished. I was like, it was life-changing. I don't know what I said to him. I was a little nervous talking to him. It was fantastic, and, um, and I just wanted to let you know that. In the middle, as I'm saying this, he starts, he goes, excuse me, do you mind if I sit? I'm tired. I said, well, yeah, you're 89. You sit, do whatever you want. You're Dr. Packer. So he's sitting, but it was this, I didn't know what to do, and I just reacted. So I kind of knelt as he was sitting. 
<laughs> so I'm like on this one knee, um, and uh, I wasn't, uh, you know, I'm not that limber, and I was like, whoa, and then so I'm talking with him, and uh, uh, just telling him how wonderful his book was, and this and that, and, and then, um, you know, I was like, I'm going to go now, because I, I can't feel my legs, so, you know, I, I got up, and, you know, it was a good meeting, but I was thinking, and I was watching him teach after, and I was so impressed, yeah, with the content, obviously, was great, but watching him teach at 89, and I was thinking, he's been walking with God, I don't know, 60 years, right? So I, I don't know when he exactly came to Christ, but he's been walking with God for many, many years. And I was thinking, as he was up there teaching this faithfully, three and a half hour course on First Second Timothy, he's up there teaching. I was thinking, as I, I saw him, and I was like, he must know God so well. He wrote knowing God, right? So he must know God so well. Um, he must enjoy God so much more in a deeper way than maybe that I do. And you think about this, in anything in life where if you put more into it, you get more out of it. So the musician that is good at the instrument they play, when, they're, when you watch a jazz band play or even our worship team play, they enjoy and they get out of what they put into this. Um, and someone that is in a relationship, and when you are married and you are all in on that relationship, the more you put into it, the more you get out of this. And I was thinking about him, man, he must, get, he must really know God. He must really enjoy God. His prayers must be very different. Um, it's, it's at another level. And I was like thinking, man, God willing, if I, if I get to 89 and I could be like him and I could know God, that that would be a goal in life. And really, that's what I wanted to share with us is that we would give all of ourselves to God. The more we give to it, the more you get out of this. You see people that like to collect cars and want, not even a fancy car, but to take care of the car. They get more out of the same car. Someone that has a hobby that they're really into it, they get more out of this. Someone that gets admitted to a school and they study hard and they work, they get more out of this. Same here in our greatest relationship with God, the more we put into that. The more we give of ourselves to God, the more blessing we get. Let me just uh, comment on that thought. This is not the same message as those we see often on TV that say, uh, you know, by faith or faith word, if you give God a, a thousand bucks, God's going to give you a hundred thousand. If you give God a hundred, that's not what it is. Those people will say, give to God so you could get something back. And the God that you're after is not God himself, but the reward is the money itself. The money has become the God. So it says, give to God so you can now get this thing back because what you get back is the money. No, what here what we get is the enjoyment from God, the relationship of God himself. It's not God as a means to get something else. He's the end in itself. And so starting today and for the next three weeks, um, we're going to look at Romans 12 and arguably one of the deepest, greatest books in the New Testament. And in this, really in the heart of it, we get to Romans 12. And I wanted to highlight some of those thoughts for us um, today and on. You know, uh, when we put our life in God, uh, it is bigger. Our life is bigger than anything else. And I don't know what the highlight of your summer was. And some of you might have taken a great trip somewhere or maybe have gotten a new opportunity somewhere and it was this highlight 
Or maybe you just got to go eat something fancy you wanted to eat. But what was the low point of your summer? You know, some of us, it, it was setbacks, it was disappointments, whatever it is. When God is so big, our highs aren't so high and our lows aren't so low. There's a sense of, well, God is in the middle of all this. It doesn't really matter. He's in the middle of this. And I think it is so, so important. We get to chapter 1, and, or chapter 12, verse 1, and Paul is appealing to us to give your life to God. Uh, the word appeal, to summon, to exhort, to encourage. He's like, I wouldn't really, really want to push you to do this. This is a strong word he's telling us. I exhort you to do this. I encourage you to do this. I, you know, just short of commanding. But he says, let me encourage you to do this. And he tells us to give our lives fully to God. And there's four parts to how we give our lives to God. It's very important. And um, before I go on, some, some might think, wow, this is pretty heavy. This is a lot you're saying. Like, you're a pastor and maybe you're at a different level. I'm not there yet. Like give 100% of my life to God. That's, I, don't, I don't feel that. And that's normal. And that's okay. But we're going to, at the end of this, after we go over what, what the parts are, we're going to see how I get to that point. What, what does God do to help us to get there? But this part here, the, the four parts of giving to God, the first part, it starts with gratitude. When I go to God and I'm going to give my life to God, it is an act of gratitude. Not payment, repayment. Not uh, bargaining with God. Not trying to get something in return. Uh, not because I owe God, not you gave your life, I'll give mine in return and we're even though. It is simply an act of gratitude. Because what has happened before to me, what God has done for me is so great that the only reasonable natural response is giving my life to God. It only is rational in this way. You look at verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's interesting. There's a word here, therefore. It's a word that connects us to the previous verses. Um, and often in the, in the Bible, in the letters, whenever the word therefore is, it means it's an answer. It's an, an action that's related to the truth that was mentioned before. So uh, scholars, commentators have often said, that this word, therefore, is connecting not just through the previous verses, but all of chapters 1 through 11. And when you go through chapters Romans 1 through 11, it is a lot of doctrine, a lot of truth, teaching uh, about what God has done. Our condition before God, what God has done for us, and how much we have in him. You know, some of the things that we know. Right? Romans 3.23, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, wages of sin is death, but the gift... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 39. I think of this is what we have. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we go through this whole truth, uh, this road in Romans that's saying we have all sinned. Sin means that we're dead spiritually. Those who are dead cannot do anything for God, to God. It's Christ, this free gift. And now I have this. What a wonderful thought. And the natural response is gratitude. Therefore, he urges us, he 
appeals to us, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We give, and this is the proper only response to God's grace. God, you gave me so much, I just give you this. You know, my second year of uh, college, when I was on those crossroads of, do I want to follow God or not? And up to that, it was more of a cultural thing, just went to church and hung out, and uh, was God real or not? It was in my into my second year in college, and I was taking a philosophy class and studying all night for the finals, and it was, you know, uh, does the man create God, or did God create man, and all these thoughts, and different philosophers, and I'm studying it, but it was more than just a subject to ace. It was a life question for me. Is God real? Is there a God? The one I go to church for, is he real? And, you know, I came, obviously, to the conclusion that he is real. There was so much evidence for God than against God. And then the natural response for me at the time, as a 20-year-old, was, well, then i got to trust him wholeheartedly. Like, I want to give him everything. Because if he's real, i got to go all in on this. And and at one point to another, it's led me here. But really, that's, I think, the response. If God is real, I ought to trust him completely, and I ought to do what he says. So it's out of gratitude we do this. The second part is we do this voluntarily. It's interesting, he doesn't, he doesn't use the word, I command you, right? But he encourages us. He's like, you should try this, but I'm not going to force you. What does he say? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a picture of us bringing something to God, right? I present something to God. Same word, using the noun, it means to give a present to someone. The idea of it is completely free. It's, I'm not forced to do this. Right? When one is given a present, it's, not, it's always voluntary. I've shared this before, and I was thinking about this today. When I was growing up, my parents, uh, with my brothers, there were three of us, they would give us, I remember in high school, give us an allowance of $5 every week. Five bucks, right? Um, and five bucks back then was still five bucks. I mean, you couldn't get much, right? It wasn't like, whoa, wait, wait, 1980 No, it, it was still five bucks. And they'd all, you know, every Sunday morning before church, it was like, here's five bucks each. And that's a good way to keep your kids out of trouble. Yeah, you can't do anything. So anyways, I had five bucks, and they're like, make sure you give a dollar to God. You go to church, you give a dollar. You have to do it. So, I, and I kid you not, and I would go, and I've shared this many times, but I would, I'm like, I'm giving 20% of, you know, like, they should give 10, but I'm giving 20 um, and I would put the $5 in, and I would, I would hold the basket, and I would put, pull four $1 bills out, and some would look at me like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, don't judge me. I'm giving 20%, you know, more than you. <laughs> and I would pull it out, and I have four bucks. Let's go eat lunch special somewhere, you know, $3.99. You know, here's four bucks in the pot. Um, but I was forced to do it. I, I, I didn't do it joyfully. I was like, I'm giving 20%. This is not fair. Right? I wonder if, the, you know, if my Mom's giving 20%. I don't think she's giving 20%. I'm giving 20%. It's not that he's saying, you better do this. But it's a, a, I do it voluntarily. I do it because I want to. It's the picture of the boy that brings the loaves and the two fish and says, here, I want to give this. It's the picture of David when no one wants to fight Goliath. Who's going to fight him? And this teenage young boy says, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go take him down. It's a picture of someone that is willing, that's doing this voluntarily. I want to give my life to him. I present this to God. I give this to him. It's not him saying, I demand it, I'm going to take it away. He says, no, I'm going to give this to him. 
The third part of giving our, ourselves to God, giving our lives to God, is it's personal. It involves all of us. It says, present what? Your bodies. Not their bodies. Not someone else. It's not, some of us have had a godly heritage. You know, your moms have been praying for you, or your, your grandmas have been praying for you, or your grandpa was like this and faithful in, in the Lord. You cannot ride on their coattails and say, well, they were so good. The husband cannot say, well, my wife is going to church, and, you know, that's good enough. He says, I want you. I want you directly. I want you to give of yourself. So this is not a general religion where it's theirs or hers or his. But he says, God says, I want you. I want you in my life. I want your life. I want to know you. Present your bodies. You know, body is not simply he wants our flesh and blood body, but he's saying he wants all of us. I want you. I want all of you is what he is saying. Um, and what, when we give ourselves to God, it is always costly. You know, he uses the, this picture of a sacrifice. The fourth part, it's costly. It's a sacrifice. It will cost people often their time, their talent, their treasures. It's costly. Do what is right before God versus doing what is convenient. It's costly. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this word living sacrifice will conjure up a picture of the temple, the temple sacrifices, whether it's in the Old Testament, whether it was to the false gods. They would remember people would often now present their animals. And they would bring their animals to the priest, to the temple, and they would line them up. And people would wait for their turn. And they said, okay, who brought this goat? And you say, that was mine. I brought, I brought the goat. And you kind of let everyone know, I brought that goat. And the priest would slaughter the goat, and the blood would be shed, and it would forgive you, you would approach God in this way. And they would burn the offering, and now that was your offering. But he says, don't give your possession. Only give yourself. Get involved yourself. It's not someone else doing this for you. It's not good enough to say, well, my church does this, and um, you know, they do it. So I'm part of the church, so I guess we're all doing it. No, he says, you get involved, and you give your life to God. He wants it all. He wants to be with you in any costly, significant relationship. It involves giving more and more. You don't go to God with a prenuptial agreement. God, I, I'll do this, but I don't want to do A, B, C, and D. Missions, no way. You know, this, no way. You know, but no. Uh, we go to God and say, what does it cost? Whatever it costs, I'm here. It's costly in this way. And we want to understand this truth. How, what does this look like in, in real life, okay? How does this play out? Someone that has given their life over to God, someone that says, my life is in yours, God, I, I've given it to you, all of a sudden dictates everything in their life by God's will. How I treat others, how I deal with someone that has hurt me, um, how I talk to my spouse, how I raise my kids, how I work when I go to work, um, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, all those things we always ask, and the, the foundation of it all is, is it God's will? God, what do you want me to do? God, how do you want me to treat my neighbor? God, what do you want me to do with my time? God, how should I treat my spouse? What's the way that I'm supposed to take care of my spouse? You teach me, you tell me. Versus someone that says, well, my will is my will. This is my dream. This is what my goal is. God, can you help me achieve this? God, can you help me to get this position? God, can you help me to get this? 
It would make my dream come true, God. Be a part of my life. No, it's saying my life is in God. And I know many of you have done the right thing. Many of you have lost out because you've done the right thing and you've given of yourself and you've served and you've served others. Many of you have gone on mission trips and many of you serve at church and you, you give sacrificially and you do these things because that's the cost in a significant relationship as we walk with God. The last thought is this, is what if I don't feel like this? <laughs> what if I, I, this is just making me feel guilty and that's about it? That, that's not what we want. We want us to understand this. I think when Paul writes this, when he urges us, he's saying, I hope you understand this. I hope your mind gets this. Why? Because in verse 2, and this is how we get, get it. He says, by the, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind. Let the insides change in us. Let us understand what is right, what is spiritual. Let me understand what is important to God. And it happens as we are transformed, we're renewed. And it's interesting, and I, I just want to unpack this verse as we wrap up. Do not be conformed to this world. The world says, live for yourself. The world says, this is what success looks like. The world says, that person is to be envied. You ought to be like that person. The world says, if someone treats you this way, you treat them this way. And we take our cues from the world, and today, especially in our day and age, it is screaming at us. It is preaching at us. Through all the media that's around us, we're constantly connected. And it's easy to now conform to that. Conformity, it's the word that talks about the outside action. The way we talk, the, way, the things we, we do, the way we walk in life. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed. Transformed, it's the idea uh, of a change on the inside. And Paul uses this outside-inside. Religion says, do the right things on the outside, whatever, it doesn't matter what you feel on the inside. Christ tells us, be transformed on the inside, it'll affect the way you live on the outside. So be transformed by the renewing of the mind. This word there, transformed, in the original language, it's in the plural. You all, all of us. It includes all of us. To, and it's in the present tense, which means it's a daily fight. It's a daily discipline that I go to his word, I go to prayer every morning or every night or whatever it is, and I say, God, would you help me to do the right thing today? God, would you help me to love the people I encounter today? God, would you help me to, to see people in the way you see them today? God, would you teach me? And it's a daily battle because the world around us is fighting against you and saying, no, you live for yourself, you do as you please. It's all about pleasure. Be a lover of pleasure. And in the last days, Paul tells Timothy, people will be lovers of pleasure. No, oh, I have to go to God, and I have to fight this in this way. Renewing the mind every day, all the time. I want to challenge us. I want to encourage all of us here. Paul got this. Paul says, I urge you, I appeal to you. This is better. Your life in God is better than your life by yourself. And I pray that the eyes of our hearts, as Paul uses in Ephesians, when the eyes of our hearts would be open, that we would see that, and we would say, his way, his life is better than what I think is better. Success is found in God and no one else. We go after him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you when we look to the cross that you have given us so much 
when we were dead in our sins. You've given us so much, and God, the response, the rational response is say, God, I give you everything. God, here's my gratitude to you. It's all for you. So we give that to you, God. Take our lives. Teach us that our life is better in you than by ourselves. Take our lives, God. God, would you help us to see you and to enjoy you and to love you in every way. Teach us what the blessed life looks like, God. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a time of offering.